Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode. Please enjoy part two of our interview with Ensign Gaudel. And so you mentioned some of the regulators and, you know, obviously we've, we've all witnessed what's been going on in Russia and Ukraine, but let's talk a little bit about how did we, how do we, how can we predict, you know, what's the stance of those regulators? What's the shift for, for 2023 after what's happened in Russia and Ukraine? What can we expect on that front moving forward? Obviously, we weren't, none of us were expecting this to happen. So it's hard to make those predictions, right? But how can we start to predict what's that shift going to look like in 2023 from a regulator standpoint, knowing what's happened this year? Do you mean uh, what might happen in relation to Russian sanctions or in general? I think a little bit of both. Uh, I mean, obviously it, it's still happening. So I'm sure that that will continue to, to, to be an issue. but. How does that reflect in other areas of of regulations? You mentioned earlier around sanction, country sanctions and, you know, individuals, but are we seeing a different trend than we're seeing this year or or how can we prepare for for the regulator stands? Yeah, so so I think we need first to reflect on exactly what has happened with uh with Russia sanctions uh in order to uh predict or extrapolate what might come next. So first, I think we need to uh, to be clear that like, uh, hostilities in Ukraine uh, did not start from scratch in 2022. And we had uh, ongoing uh, hostilities and, and conflict that never stopped since, since 2014. And in 2014, if you recall, there was the kind of the, the first episode with the annexation of Crimea, and there were uh, significant sanctions imposed back then. And those 2014, 2015 sanctions uh, remain, uh, to a large extent, remain the legal basis for the 2022 developments. But what we saw in 2022 was really, really a perfect storm of sanctions. And I think it will be remembered and, and used as a textbook example of, uh, of what sanctions can look like. Uh, 2022 Russian sanctions were unprecedented in pace and scale. Uh, the 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 um, number of list updates, uh, uh, especially in the first half of the year, the scale of the new designations, you had batches of hundreds and of persons and entities being designated. Uh, so that was really the first, uh, the first thing to highlight. Also, uh, Russian sanctions are unprecedented uh, in the very targets uh, of, of these sanctions. It's obvious, but we have to... Uh, uh, we have to say it, we are talking about sanctions against a permanent member of the UN Security Council. So, so these sanctions have a profound impact on uh, basically the post-World War II international order of the UN system. And finally, I think it's also fair to say that those sanctions were and are unprecedented in terms of the potential impacts uh, on the economy, particularly. Russian sanctions have far-reaching impacts on energy markets, on commodity markets, and even on international food markets. And we have not seen the full consequences of, of these sanctions uh, yet. 
Um, but yeah, it's likely that the, the, the impacts will be uh, both profound and long-lasting. Long-lasting because at the end of, of this year, uh, if you look at the military situation, uh, there is little sign of uh, de-escalation, to say the least. Uh, and so from that standpoint, we should anticipate that the current sanctions uh, are here to stay and have little chance of being eased in the foreseeable future. Now, having said that, I think it's important to keep in mind that sanctions come also at a, at a cost for the sanctioning countries. And in the West, the current, uh, situa like the current economic situation in general is difficult. And there is also uh, an energy crisis, uh, especially here in Europe. Uh, and, and so uh, in the coming weeks, and especially considering the fact that we are in, in the winter season now, uh, we could see a diminishing support for sanctions in many European countries. And that's particularly true uh, if, you, if you consider that the, the EU's embargo on the oil from Russia just took effect um, a couple of weeks back, like in early December of 2022. So overall, outside of the, 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 outside of the ninth sanctions package that was uh, announced uh, recently, so the EU is going to go ahead with a ninth package of sanctions, I would expect in 2023, a relatively limited expansion of, of Russian sanctions uh, in 2023. And instead, I think what we, are going to, what we are going to see is a growing focus on really the enforcement of the uh, existing set of restrictions. So part of this effort will, uh, will be about monitoring the overall ability for Russia to find ways around the existing sanctions. Um, and how do we disrupt uh, these circumvention techniques? We have seen uh, that the US has already implemented uh, a layer of secondary sanctions against certain Russian targets. And uh, in the EU, uh, we, we now have a new ground for designated facilitators of sanctions violations. Uh, so yeah, really, I think we, uh, we should expect uh, uh, greater commitments uh, on enforcement and on disrupting sanctions violation. Uh, lastly, I think part of the uh, part of the developments for the year to come uh, will be like Western countries trying to engage in, uh, in like various political forums and through uh, and through diplomatic channels uh, to get additional countries to uh, join the sanctions and turn their back on Russia. There will be also uh, political and diplomatic efforts uh, to, to back pressure Russia. Finally, uh, you asked about the shift in position from regulators. So on, on that front, I think, uh, that, yeah, there, there were some uh, some interesting developments uh, this year. Uh, so first, let me start with, uh, actually, it was not a 2022 development, but a late 2021 development. There was a very interesting document published by the by the U.S. Treasury. Basically, it was a review of U.S. sanctions policy, uh, and, and that document was really a, re, a, a reflection on the use of sanctions and a reflection on how to make them more effective, globally speaking. The, 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 the reason for that review uh, was that like, there was a perception that the previous uh, administration had basically overused unilateral sanctions. Uh, with this overuse comes a concern from U.S. authorities that overusing sanctions might prove counterproductive because uh, you start to see third countries uh, seeking ways to reduce their reliance on U.S. currencies or to develop alternative schemes for international trade and payments. 
So you have to strike a balance and and, uh, and uh, really articulate your sanctions against clear foreign policy objectives, uh, make them proportionate, and also to uh, ensure that you that you um, that you coordinate with like-minded countries and that you have allies that join you uh, in implementing those sanctions. Uh, now, if we cross the Atlantic and look at the UK Office for Financial Sanctions Implementation OFCE. Uh, has had a mandate to uh, impose monetary penalties since uh, 2018. But to be fair, we have seen only modest penalties being issued in the past five years. Now, the, there was the enactment of the Economic Crime Act in 2022. And with this act, uh, OFCE uh, now has more room to enforce sanctions violation. Uh, it also has new power to uh, uh, basically designate publicized sanctions violations. Aside from uh, from sanctions designation, it can communicate entities that were found to violate sanctions. On top of that, and I think it's really interesting. Back to the point on uh, coordination among allies, there was uh, there was the announcement in 2022 of an enhanced partnership between OFAC and OFCE, so the the, the US and UK sanctions agencies, uh, for like. Uh, enhanced cooperation, so information sharing, basically gathering best practices, and really a variety of initiatives to align uh, sanctions policy uh, and, and basically uh, uh, share intelligence. Uh, now, if we look at the EU, uh, th there is one peculiarity with the EU system is that sanctions enforcement remains a prerogative for the member states. And that's basically an issue when you have uh, a growing number of voices that call for a more consistent uh, EU-wide framework for sanctions enforcement. So uh, obviously, we are not likely to see uh, an OFAC-type body for the EU uh, in 2023, but we are seeing uh, increasing efforts uh, to better coordinate at the EU level on the enforcement side of things. So for, for example, there are, uh, there are developments uh, to uh, criminalize sanctions violations at the EU level uh, and also to uh, impose sanctions on those EU persons that facilitate uh, violation by, by national of third country. And also we've seen that in the field of, uh, of AML-CFT, uh, the EU is preparing for an for EU-wide supervisory authority. Uh, and finally, there is also a lot going on at the moment to go beyond uh, the, the mere freezing of Russian assets. Uh, and basically what is being... Uh, considered is to implement mechanisms to seize and confiscate assets owned by sanctioned Russians uh, in order to finance the reconstruction of Ukraine. And so these will be uh, areas to, to watch, uh, areas of development for 2022. A lot to cover if you're a compliance officer and trying to stay, you know, on top of all yeah. of these changes, right? So, yeah. like, you mentioned effectiveness over and over. I, I heard you earlier mention it caught you a couple times saying that right now can we expect this to be a buzzword for 2023 obviously effectiveness is key but how are regulators becoming more effective should we ex expect any reforms next year should we expect the focus to be on effectiveness in well yeah uh effectiveness is really the the issue here uh for me it's not just a buzzword, it's really what everybody needs to focus about. Just let me frame this, uh, this need for greater effectiveness real quick. Uh, if, if you take the issue as a whole, the international financial system is currently pretty ineffective at preventing illicit funds from being invested in the legitimate economy. 
one figure for that to highlight this. It's the official and basically the reference estimate. Uh, so it's a figure that is uh, provided by the UN Office on Drug and Crime. The, that figure is that only 1% of criminal proceeds are uh, currently being confiscated. So that's how ineffective we are. 99% of the criminal flows today still go undetected. So, uh, yeah, basically claiming that more effective anti-financial crime controls should be achieved uh, may sound like a buzzword, but that really is the reality. Having said that, uh, I think like, basically the overwhelming majority of private sector entities uh, are actually seeking to do their fair share. And they are uh, on a daily basis looking at improving their effectiveness at disrupting uh, financial criminals. Uh, so of course there are uh, there are bad apples, uh, but the uh, but the overwhelming majority is uh, really committed to to uh, to uh, doing the, the the right thing and doing things right. But obviously no control framework is flawless. But if you want, if I can share my perception, my perception is that overall the level of awareness and maturity on tackling financial crime and complying with sanctions is fast improving globally. Now, you also ask about regulators, regulators seeking to uh, enhance the commitment to effectiveness can do so through a variety of ways. First, let's state the obvious, but you need to have a clear set of rules uh, to comply with. Uh, that's the, the, the most evident element to, to have in place. Next to that, uh, you need to have a set of, of guidance kind of soft law uh, to go along with uh, with binding regulations, uh, really to, to help the private sector understanding the expectation and grasping the, really the areas of focus, the area of high risks. So that's for the basically the, the, the rule book. So once you have that rule book all set, you have more, uh, more stringent requirements and more uh, effective supervision and regulation of all exposed professions. But even more important, uh, there needs to be uh, an expectation in the private sector that shortcomings will be enforced against. So take, take the example of, uh, of a speed limit. If you implement a speed limit on the road, but that if you never enforce it, the chances are that drivers will continue speeding. Uh, if you have systematic enforcement and if you have high enough speeding tickets, chances are that everyone will slow down. So I think it's the the parallel is, is, is pretty valid. That you need to have uh, more resources being committed to uh, to supervision and enforcement, and that's particularly true uh, for uh, non-financial businesses and professions. I mentioned those earlier, but that's that's a common gap in for, for many countries is that those non-financial professions, which are still at risk of misuses for uh, money laundering purposes are not uh, supervised enough and not enough uh, enforced against. That's an area to, to look at for uh, enhanced effectiveness for, for, the, for the years to come. That's amazing. That's amazing. So on that note, right, what can we expect and what can we, what can we expect to see from FATF? You know, you mentioned them earlier. What kind of regulatory responses can we kind of expect uh, from them next year? What are some typologies that, you know, can expect to see in 2023? What's becoming more high risk? 
uh, and what can we see from, from so that of itself? It's good that you ask about FADEF because, yeah, so first, uh, 2022 was a, a landmark year for, for FADEF because it marked the 10th anniversary of the current version of the 40 recommendation. So that's that's an interesting thing to, to note. But yeah, uh, essentially, FADEF continues to, uh, to play a crucial role uh, in promoting a level playing field and uh, really to, uh, to lay out the global standards for fighting financial crime, money laundering, financial, finance, uh, terrorism financing, proliferation financing. Uh, so that, that's really uh, that's really critical uh, work and publication coming out of FADEF. Uh, also, uh, FADEF continues to publish uh, assessments for uh, countries' compliance with, with their standards and basically assessments of countries' effectiveness in addressing money laundering and terrorism financing. So uh, we are now uh, still going through uh, the fourth cycles of country assessment. And basically, you have uh, currently slightly more than 130 countries that went through this process. And those assessments are, are really like uh, very uh, like valuable insights into the, the relative performance of countries and really allows to benchmark countries against one another uh, and how do they respond to the issue of, of AML-CFT. And if you look at those ratings, uh, what the current ratings tell you is that uh, while regulations might be in place on paper and the technical compliance of countries is somewhat satisfactory, uh, in reality, there are very few countries that currently achieve a decent level of effectiveness back to that issue of, of effectiveness. Uh, FADEF assessments also measure the effectiveness of those, of those rules. So uh, just to give you a, a few, few, uh, few uh, numbers, just to uh, illustrate what I'm saying, if you look at the technical compliance, so compliance on paper, the, the overall uh, average for all countries having been assessed is roughly 60% compliant. But now the average for the effectiveness ratings are uh, slightly above the 20% mark on average. So that, that basically tells you the disconnect between compliance on paper and compliance in reality. And even the most, I mean, even the most developed countries uh, still have a variety of loopholes that are exploited by, uh, by financial criminals and uh, networks of uh, professional money launderers. Now, in a nutshell, if you uh, if you look at uh, the current current compliance ratings, there are uh, three global issues that emerge. The first issue, and back to what I uh, mentioned earlier uh, in relation to certain professions, the first burning issue is really the lack of uh, AML CFT regulation and supervision on non-financial businesses and professions. Again, those professions that are exposed to money laundering risks uh, are not adequately uh, regulated and, and supervised, globally speaking. And yeah, these under-regulated under professions uh, pose uh, very uh, material risks to the, to the integrity of the financial system. Uh, there is a second burning issue, and to, to a certain extent, it's connected to the, to the first one. Uh, the second burning issue is the misuse of legal entities and arrangements. Back to that uh, uh, necessity of having um, transparency 
around the beneficial owners of legal entities and legal arrangements. Uh, today, that transparency is, uh, is far from achieved at the global level. And as a result, you have a massive loophole and you continue to have uh, uh, opaque legal entities being, uh, being commonly used uh, in various types of uh, money laundering schemes, tax evasion schemes, etc. And finally, the third topic that emerged by, that emerged by looking at FADEF, uh, I would call it the, the hall of shame, are uh, certain items, certain recommendations that uh, relate to the implementation of targeted financial sanctions by the United Nations. Uh, so you have uh, two recommendations that look into that, uh, financial, uh, UN financial sanction against terrorism and against proliferation financing, and also uh, the deficiencies in uh, preventing the misuse of non-profit organization for uh, terrorism financing purposes. So those are the, the main issues that emerge by looking at the current ratings. Uh, on the, you also asked about the typologies that FADEF is working on and looking at. Uh, just to uh, give you an overview of uh, the various publications that came out of FADEF just this year, uh, you had a publication around uh, money laundering risks uh, in relation to uh, synthetic opioids uh, trafficking. Uh, money laundering and terrorism financing risks from uh, migrant smuggling, a typology of human trafficking, basically, uh, a risk-based approach for the real estate sector, uh, a variety of publications in relation to uh, um, beneficial ownership transparency. Uh, again, there is an ongoing consultation on that front. And finally, in the kind of in the background, uh, FADEF continues to uh, publish work in relation to uh, virtual assets cryptocurrencies uh, and how uh, how countries are building and implementing a regulatory framework for for these uh, for these industry for, for the cryptocurrency industry so yeah in a vacuum those are those are some of the topics on which uh, FADEF has, has worked and uh, has uh, published new materials just this Amazing. year yeah lots to look forward on the FADEF end oh absolutely and I recommend everyone to yeah, to be on the watch for what comes out of FADEF and not only uh, not only a list of countries, uh, everybody knows about the gray list, the, the black list, uh, regularly updated by, by FADEF, uh, but also the, those typology reports, those, uh, those standards are uh, yeah, really invaluable uh, in, in uh, like better grasping the, the, the risk typologies and how to to address those absolutely absolutely all right vincent well you know this has been amazing we're not done yet but i did want to wrap up um today's episode um with your takes on how can banks financial institutions the fmbs and bfis all these um organizations that should be looking at you know that are at risk of financial crime how can stay ahead of these trends? We started seeing this year into 2023. How can they prepare? What support is out there? What are your takes on that? And that way we can, can kind of wrap up this episode. Yeah, I think one, uh, one angle that I would suggest is like uh, banks and financial institutions should look at uh, breaking silos. I have 
talked through various uh, typologies of or areas of, uh, of regulatory requirements. We've talked about uh, AML, we've talked about sanctions, uh, we could have talked about uh, development in the area of fraud, etc. And, and so, yeah, there are a variety of typologies, variety of developments. And oftentimes, and especially in, in, in uh, larger banks, you have uh, specialized teams, specialized systems for, for, for various risk typologies. And so I think uh, it would be worth to look at ways to break the silos and seeking ways to bridge certain capabilities uh, from one area to the other. And how can you uh, leverage certain fraud prevention capabilities into your sanctions compliance controls? How can you um, adjust your AML controls uh, for spotting potential sanctions evasion, uh, for instance? Um, yeah, we, we really have to take a, take really a holistic approach to, to, to financial crime and really kind of really think of those issues uh, holistically and build a compliance response uh, in a cohesive manner. Now, now as you said, uh, preparation and anticipation is key. And I think that all businesses now acknowledge that denial is not a sound strategy and that you cannot basically bury your head in the sand and ignore sanction and financial, financial crime risks. Now, having said that, uh, it is by no means easy. Uh, risk typologies expand, uh, become more complex. Uh, and really, I think you, you have to take compliance as a trajectory, as really an attitude. And you should never assume that you have reached the destination. You're, you're never quite there. And yeah, just to conclude, I think it's a really challenging field. But uh, we have to keep in mind that the, the mission is extremely important uh, because we are basically all working towards making the international financial system less exploitable and really to uphold its integrity. And so it's challenging, but we are a full industry. We are a full ecosystem. And so, yeah, you're not alone. We are not alone. And we basically all need to join forces and to share our expertise and capabilities to defeat the powerful and sophisticated networks of financial criminals. I think those are incredibly wise words, Vincent. And with that, I want to thank you so much for being here, sharing your knowledge with our listeners and with me, obviously. So thank you so much, Vincent. Thanks a lot for having me, Daphne. If you guys have any questions and there are any inquiries, please feel free to reach us at podcast at uh, LexisNexisRisk.com or visit our website at risk.lexisnexis.com forward slash direct tech pulse.